You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and go to John chapter 14. Uh, A couple of things come to mind before we actually look into uh, the text. For about seven years now, we've had an official adoptive relationship with Ross Elementary, and John mentioned some of the ladies were here from the faculty and staff, and uh, I want to recognize them. I want to pray for you three, if we could, so would you just stand up, and let's welcome you guys from Ross. Go ahead and stand up. Let's welcome them. And if you're not doing a rise to read, or if you're not involved with Ross, Jimmy Farrell, right in the back. Jimmy, raise your hand. Can't miss him. See him after the service. See one of these ladies. would love for you to be involved in the good things God is doing at Ross Elementary. If you're right around the three ladies who are standing, would you go and put a hand on their shoulder? Represent all of us. Just surround them. We prayed through the school, the school hallways a few weeks ago. What a privilege that was. Let me pray once again. Lord, it is remarkable to see what you are doing through committed men and women at Ross Elementary School. How you protect them, how you guide them, how you keep them inspired and energized and motivated. Thank you for that. Thank you for the privilege that that you've given us and the blessing it is for us to be involved at Ross. We pray for the children. I pray for these three beautiful ladies who are here with us, that you would keep them uh, close, keep them clean before you, use them, and more than anything, fill them with joy in what they do. Thank you for the influence that teachers have in children, coaches have in children. Thank you, Lord, for that. We pray for them and lift them. We love them in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that says, amen, amen. And buy a t-shirt. Go back there. They're standing back there. Don't just walk past and look at them. Go ahead and get a t-shirt. Donations are welcome in that, and everything goes to Ross. The other thing I want to mention before we get started is John mentioned classes this Wednesday night. There's also a men's Bible doctrine class Thursday morning from 6.30 to 7.45. John and I and a few others teach that, and we'd love for any guy here to be a part of that this coming Thursday morning. We're just beginning, so it's a good time to get right in on that. I was thinking as the storm went through last night that a few years ago there was another storm that came through, and we lost all of our electricity. In fact, the entire area was affected. Um... We were watching TV, and TV went dark, and then I think Ruthie went over and tried to put the light on, flick on the light. It was dead, and we said, oh, we think we've lost electricity. Now, that's no big deal for us because we were missionaries in the Dominican Republic, and we lost electricity all the time. It just, it just went out. Um, in fact, the president of the country was in our city where we lived, a huge baseball fan, and he's watching our local team play baseball when the lights went out. He was sitting next to the president of the electric company, and he turned to him and he said, next time I'm at a baseball game and the lights go out, I'm going to have you killed. True story. Every, uh, every edition of the national paper that came out had on the front page the times when electricity would go out that day. <laughs> the electricity will be off from 4 to 9 today. 
So apparently he took that real seriously. So it's no big deal for us when the lights go out. We just uh, light some candles, we play some board games, we, and we went to bed that night when the power went, was gone. I went to bed, and sometime during the night, the, the lights came on, and the TV came on, and the security system buzzed, and, and we knew the lights were on. After a few hours before the lights came on, I called MLG and W just to find out progress on getting power restored. And I got a recording that said, uh, we are working to restore power as quickly as possible for updates. Watch local TV. <laughs> oh, so we watch TV. Is that, is that the way we do it? The point is, when we lost power, everybody knew it. Life couldn't go on as it was. And I want to raise this question. If for some reason the power of the Holy Spirit left your life, would you even notice it? If for some reason the power of the Holy Spirit was not available in our church, would we even know it? Or would we go on with business as usual? The late... A.W. Tozer said this, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. When you read the New Testament, there is one thing that stands out very clearly, and that is those early Christians were absolutely dependent on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They could not do what God called them to do. They could not be what God called them to be without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was as necessary for them as air was to breathe. So the question I'm going to ask you, John will be asking over the next four weeks in this series is this, if the Holy Spirit were to leave, would you even notice? We're going to study the Holy Spirit the next four weeks. And my prayer is not that he would be a doctrine that we just study, but we would experience the Holy Spirit. We would come to know him and relate to him. We'd encounter him personally. Otherwise, we've missed the whole point uh, in this series. And I know that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of controversy, a lot of confusion, controversy, um, uh, some of us grew up in church where the Holy Spirit was acknowledged to be the third member of the Trinity, but he was seldom talked about. In fact, for many of us, the Trinity was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Spirit was like the crazy relative that you hope doesn't show up at your house. And if he does, you hope he leaves real soon. On the other hand, some of us grew up in churches where the Holy Spirit was the whole show. He was the star. And even though the Bible says the Holy Spirit was given to point to Jesus, it was like church was a circus and the Holy Spirit's the ringmaster. And some of us didn't grow up in church at all and we just don't know what we believe about the Holy Spirit. In fact, maybe you think if people who believe in the Holy Spirit are in one of two camps. In one camp, there are people with lots of makeup and big hair and you see them on TV and in the other camp are people who wear no makeup. And you have to choose between those, those two. So we're calling this series Forgotten God. You may think that's extreme. Okay, he's neglected, but he's not exactly 
uh, forgotten, but I'll bet that more than a few of us could not speak of experiencing the Holy Spirit this year in our life and identify when He's present and if He were not present, would we even know it? The title of this series comes from a book written by Francis Chan who said this, there's a huge gap between what we read in the Bible about the Holy Spirit and how most of us live. Without the Holy Spirit, people operate in their own strength. They only accomplish human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church can't help but be different, and the world can't help to, but notice. And if I could just be bluntly honest, I'm tired of merely talking about God and not seeing more of His presence in my life and more of His power in our church. And I believe with everything in me that God has more for us to experience, more for us to know, and more for us to be by the power of His Holy Spirit. Jesus once said in Luke 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? And if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, we're like hungry children. And the Heavenly Father is an abundant, generous God. And if we'll ask Him, He'll give us what we need to fill our hunger. So in this series, my prayer is that we will become more aware of our great need and more aware of His great willingness to pour out His Spirit on us. So what I want to do today is just introduce the series, kind of walk through the Bible uh, with you. The first time we read of the Holy Spirit is right in the very beginning of the Bible. Most people know the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and void. The Hebrew term, for what it's worth, is tohu vabohu, which means the raw matter of creation, just it's just chaos, it's unproductive, it's a wasteland, it's just, it's just matter that has been created. And it says, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In other words, ready to shape, ready to bring to order, ready to create and mold. And then the next verse says, and God spoke, and the Holy Spirit went to work, and brought life where there was no life, and brought order where there was just chaos. And it may, may very well be that some of us say, well, my whole life is in chaos right now. And I just want you to know the Holy Spirit wants to bring order to what is chaotic, and He wants to bring life at what you feel is dead within you. And it happens when you hear God speak from His Word. The first person in the Bible to receive and be filled with the Holy Spirit was a man named Bezalel. Exodus 31 says, the Lord's 
said to Moses, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for settings, and in carving wood to work with in, in every craft. In other words, God gave the Holy Spirit to this man that enabled him to create and shape material for the tabernacle, made him a creative, made him an artist. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is given to specific people for a specific time for a specific purpose. Not everyone got the Holy Spirit. Not everyone who believed got the Holy Spirit. It was given to specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. So we see Gideon is given the Holy Spirit to lead. Uh, Joshua is given the Holy Spirit to lead. Samson is given the Holy Spirit to fight and, and to lead. He was not available for everyone, only a select few. So the Spirit came and went, which is why David prayed in Psalm 51, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I know of sin, don't remove the Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit was given to kings, given to prophets who spoke prophetic words, telling what God wanted the people to know, and sometimes predicting the future that God had determined would, would take place. And there was this, in the Old Testament, there's this sense of expectancy. Because the prophets kept saying, when the Messiah comes, he will bring the Spirit of God. And people were waiting and, 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 and hoping because when the Messiah came, it wouldn't be that the Holy Spirit would just come on a few people at a specific time for a specific purpose, but the Spirit would be available to anyone and to everyone who followed the Messiah. So you get passages like Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to work in my, walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In other words, the prophet said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to take your old hard heart out. He'll replace it with a soft, malleable heart, and he will give you the Holy Spirit who will motivate and empower you to do what God wants. I love what the prophet Joel said. Joel 2.28. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants. The lowest people on earth. In those days I will pour out my spirit. So. They kept saying it's not going to be for a specific purpose, for a specific person, for a, a specific time available to everyone. And so people are waiting and they're expectant and they're longing for the Messiah to come. And Jesus arrives on the scene in the New Testament. And in the very first sermon he preaches, he says this. He quotes uh, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. And he begins to speak. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, he comes up out of the water, and here comes the Holy Spirit like a, a dove to hover over, maybe light on him. And the Father speaks and says, this is my son that I love. And you've got the Trinity right there. Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father. In the Old Testament, the word for Spirit is ruach. It's a Hebrew word. 
It can be translated wind or puff of air or breath or spirit. In the New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma. Same way, it can be translated as wind, puff of air, breath, or spirit. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of it. In the same way, that Holy Spirit is non-physical, but He's alive and real, and you can see the effects when the Holy Spirit is present in power, which is why Jesus told Nicodemus that night in John 3, He said, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming or, or where it's going. I think one of the reasons people get so uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit is because He's like the wind. The wind can be gentle, gentle breeze rustling the leaves, or the wind can, be, can uproot trees, blow down buildings. We want to contain the wind, but we can't. We can't contain the Holy Spirit. We'd like to control the Holy Spirit. You can't control the wind. You cannot control the Holy Spirit. And let's face it, some of us have control issues. And so we get uncomfortable talking about something we can't exactly control. In Acts 2, and John will talk about this next week, the Holy Spirit comes in power at Pentecost. The promises are fulfilled, and the Holy Spirit is unleashed like no one has ever seen before. And Peter shares this amazing promise. If you will put your belief in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and be baptized, you will be forgiven of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. So the Holy Spirit becomes available to anyone who repents of their sins, places their trust in Jesus. And the church, 3,000 people do it, and the church is launched. I think the church is like a sailboat. Really do. Church is like a sailboat. You can spend an enormous amount of time and energy and money building a sailboat. Many people work on the sailboat, like myself, elders, deacons, staff. We've read the manual on the sailboat. We know it cover to cover. We go to conferences on sailing, and we listen to famous and successful sailors. We chart the course for the sailboat, so we have goals and five-year plans. We design the sailboat to look like other sailboats that are successful and beautiful, all that's fine. But there's really only one thing that matters with a sailboat. That's the wind. It's the wind. You can spend a lot of time on the sailboat, but the only question is about the wind. And a sailboat is dependent on the wind for everything. And so the job of the sailboat is to put the sails up to catch the wind, sail with the wind, which is why my prayer in these last days has been, Lord, help me as one of the leaders in our church, help me lead the church the way a sail catches the wind. The world may, under, may not understand the Holy Spirit, but the world will see the difference in our marriages, in our relationships, in our personalities, our temperaments, our, our attitudes, as we live our life on mission. So here's the question. If the Holy Spirit were to leave, would you even notice? You say, how would you notice? I mean, what the most extensive teaching on the Holy Spirit is found in John 14, 15, and 16. It's the last night before Jesus is has with his followers, he gathers them around. He's going to be crucified the next day. He knows it's really going to be hard for them. He knows they're going to struggle. 
And so he begins teaching about the Holy Spirit. He knows they're going to face some difficult challenges, and he wants them to know he's leaving them, but they will not be left. Look at John 14, verse 16 and 18. John chapter 14, if you have your Bible still open. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he dwells with you at that time and will be in you. That's at Pentecost, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And I want you to fix your attention on that word, another. I will, give the, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. There are two Greek words that can be translated another. One is the Greek word heteros, we'll get our word heterosexual from that, which means another who is similar but different. And so if Jesus uses that word, he is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be like me, but he's going to be different. The other Greek word is the word alos, which means exactly like someone else. Identical. That's the word Jesus uses. So he's saying when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to be just like me. In other words, if you want to get to know who the Holy Spirit is and what he's like, watch Jesus. Look at Jesus. And Jesus says, I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever known identical twins? May I see your hands? We have triplets. So, uh, Joan over here is a, uh, one of the triplets. I grew up with some identical twins, and it was hard to tell them apart. Uh, sometimes they would play tricks on dates. <laughs> one of them, not the boyfriend, would actually go out with a girlfriend, and sometimes they'd go to class for each other and play all these tricks. But if you got to know them, there was a difference in them. The way they laughed, the way they talked about things, what, what they liked. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm sending my identical twin. It's stronger than that. He says, I am sending the one who is exactly like me, and I will not leave you as an orphan. Look at verses 25 and 26 of John 14. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus promises the Holy Spirit's going to bring back to their memory what he has said, clarify it, and that promise was fulfilled for the apostles. It's called inspiration, and it's fulfilled for us today. It's called illumination. And I've had this happen over and over in my life. Uh, during a, a time of discouragement, um, one time of great discouragement in my life a few years ago, the verse came back to my mind, Psalm 138.8, I will fulfill my purposes for you. It was the Holy Spirit bringing that to mind. I walk into a home. People are grieving. They just lost a, a, a loved one. And a verse comes to mind. God is our refuge and strength, a very present time, help in times of trouble. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. Time of temptation. When, I, when I'm being tempted, and the, it will flash into my mind. There's no temptation it's specific to you. It's common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he'll make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. 
I've experienced that. Many of you have too. Where the Holy Spirit just brings something to mind that you've read from God's Word. When I feel so guilty, it just guilt is just weighing on me. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Look at John 15, verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, who I will, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. One theologian, Dale Bruner, says the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. He's not shy because he's timid. He's shy because he's always pointing away from himself to Jesus. Look at him. Follow him. Notice what he says. Hear him. The Holy Spirit's like a spotlight, and the point of a spotlight is not the light itself, it's what it's shining on. And so the Holy Spirit's like a spotlight shining on Jesus. And he says, he says, and you also will bear witness. He'll bear witness, and you'll bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. When you talk to someone about Jesus, you can count on the Holy Spirit using your words, weighting them with his truth, and it's not just you talking. The Holy Spirit is using. You know, the Holy Spirit's a matchmaker. He links people up with Jesus. That's what he does. It's one of his functions. Uh, look, at chapter, um, look at chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, it is for your good that I go away. And I think that may be the most amazing verse in all of the Bible. Because here are these men who have sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. They have hung on his every word. They have watched the miracles that he's done. They've listened to his teaching, and now they're about to lose him. They've walked away from their lives to follow him. And now he says, I'm leaving. And he says, and it's to your advantage that I leave. Why? Because if I don't leave, he says, the, the helper, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, whatever your version reads, will not come. But if I leave, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name. Look at verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you'll not see him any longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us we're wrong. We're wrong about the way we're living. We're wrong, we're wrong about what God is like, his righteousness, and we're wrong about what's coming, judgment. So that's one of the functions of of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He speaks, whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is like a funnel coming to us and all the blessings and all the promises and all the wonderful things that God has for us are funneled to us through the Holy Spirit. And they come to us. I just want you to see one big truth today. Just one thing. And it's, you see it over and over and over in what Jesus says in John 14, 15, and 16. And that is this. The Holy Spirit is a person you can know and relate to and experience. He's your best friend, if you understand it. 
He is a person you can know. I cringe when I hear some, someone speak of the Holy Spirit as, as it. Here's the problem. We tend to think of the Holy Spirit as a what rather than a who. We tend to speak of the Holy Spirit as it rather than he. And we tend to relate to the Holy Spirit as a force rather than a friend. Part of the problem is his name. I mean, when you put the in front of someone's name, it's just hard to relate to him as a person. It sounds like the Sam. That just sounds kind of weird. It, it, there's no intimacy. There's, it's, it's hard to relate to that. It sounds like a position. And spirit, that's kind of vague, isn't it? Like, that's not like a We talk about a, a spirited horse or a spirited dog, or we say, he's in good spirits today. Um, just hard to relate. The, the, the Spirit and the Holy, we're not sure what that means, and it kind of scares us to begin with because we realize we're not real holy. So it's, the name is, is, is kind of hard to relate to as a person. And Jesus helps us because he absolutely over and over refers to the Holy Spirit as he. Did you catch that? That last passage we read, verse um, uh, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. And what's so interesting is Jesus breaks the rules of grammar. In the Greek language, nouns have, have gender, just like in Spanish, masculine, feminine, but in Greek, they have neuter, and the word spirit is neuter. And so you would think the pronoun would be, for those of you who are teachers, you'd think the pronoun would be neuter. But Jesus breaks the rules of grammar and says, no, the pronoun is he, he. How can you relate to the Holy Spirit as a person? Uh, Ruthie and I were talking about this last night as we were uh, having dinner. And I said, what if, we, what if the Holy Spirit actually had a name? Let's call him Fred. Fred. And so when Jesus says, it's to your good, I'm going away, Fred's coming. Oh, Fred's coming? Oh, okay, it's going to be okay. Fred's coming. He's just like me. He's, he's, he's Fred. Uh, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Fred. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you can relate to that. When we baptize someone, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Fred. Well, we can't do that. It's not up to us to name the Holy Spirit. But if you can think of him as a person, then you can talk to him. You can relate to him. Our instinct is to relate to him as an impersonal thing. Let me just close by mentioning a couple of ways that we can relate to him as a person. One is we can lie to him. We can, you can actually lie to a person, lie to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5 tells about this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter, you know, they had they sold some property and uh, they gave some money to the church and they told everyone, we're giving all the money to the church. But in reality, they kept some of the money for themselves, which was fine. The problem was they, gave, they said, we give it all to the church. And Peter confronts them and he says this, Acts 5.3, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why did you do that? And then he goes on in verse 4, and he says, it was your money. You could do with it what you wanted to, but you lied. 
you lied to God. And so Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit and God are, can, are interchangeable there, showing us the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's God, he's a, he's, he's a person, and, he, and he's God. If you had asked Ananias and Sapphira, why would you do what you did? I think they would have said this. Well, we really didn't intend to lie to God. We just wanted everybody to think we were more spiritual than we are. We wanted everybody to think we were more generous than we really are. And we lie to the Holy Spirit when we act like we are more spiritual than we are. That gets my attention. My hypocrisy, my pretending, my efforts to impress you and make you think that I have it all together, that is lying to the Holy Spirit. Come to church, you sing worship songs, you curse and yell at home, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. You're not only hurting your family, you're hurting the Holy Spirit. You take communion and you celebrate God's grace and love and you hang on to your bitterness and refuse to give grace to other people when God's given grace to you. We say we're going to pray for someone, we have no intention of doing that. We act like we're generous and sacrificial, but really we're not sacrificial. We tell a brother, I'm walking in purity, and we go home and watch porn on the computer. We act like we're loving and thoughtful as a husband and a wife, and then we, guys, we treat our wives with indifference at home. Or you go to a women's Bible study and talk about the wonderful marriage you have, and then you go home and berate your husband. All the ways that we lie about to the Holy Spirit by pretending to be something we're not. Jim Elliott was a missionary who died in Ecuador at the hands of the Aka Indians. He said once, he said, the problem is we say and we sing, we surrender all, but we don't. We don't even try. In fact, he makes a really strong statement. He said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Not the case. We lie to the Holy Spirit. You you lie to a person. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The New Living Translation says, do not bring sorrow to the Spirit by the way you live. And if I understand that I can actually cause sadness to the Spirit of God by the way I live, well, it helps me to relate to Him as a, a person. You can't offend someone who's not a person. I tried that this week. I talked badly to my phone. I said some really hard things to my phone. Siri, why can't you be more like Alexa? You know what? My phone was not offended at all. My phone's thoughts were not injured at all. Why? I'm not a person. We all understand the more you love and know someone, the more power they have to hurt you. In fact, the more vulnerable you are, the more you love someone. We know this. The people who love you most are the people who can most deeply hurt you. And what that means is, if we say the Holy Spirit can be grieved, it means He loves you so much. He loves you so deeply. He cares for you. When I was a teenager, my parents only had a couple of rules. And one day I broke one of their rules. And I got home really like like 2 o'clock in the morning, and my dad was there waiting for me. And he didn't say anything. He looked at me, said, I'm glad you're home, and walked away. 
And I stood there and realized I had disappointed my dad. You know, it's one thing to break a rule. It's another to break a heart. And as a Christian, it's one thing to break God's rules. It's something else to break God's heart. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a friend. Jesus calls him a comforter, an advocate. It's the word paraclete, which means to be called alongside. It's like a defense attorney who stands up with you in a trial. He's there to strengthen you, to support you. That word can be translated friend. And what I want to ask you to do over the next four weeks is begin to think of the Holy Spirit as your best friend. In fact, I want to give you a prayer to pray. It is this. Worship team, come on up if you would. If you guys are in the room, just a simple prayer. Go ahead and throw that prayer up on the screen if you would, please. Holy Spirit, I want to know you personally. I welcome you into my life, and I want you to be my closest friend. Would you say that with me? Let's read it together. Holy Spirit, I want to know you personally. I welcome you into my life, and I want you to be my closest friend.